welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I'd like to welcome y'all back to the King's Truth Podcast. I'm your host, King Truth, and today we're going to have a discussion about a topic that's been in the news. Um, here the last couple of days, I have been watching on the news and noticed that there's been an uproar about a couple of candidates that have suggested that reparations should be given out um anywhere from cnn msnbc fox news online on youtube like it has been a hot topic um candidates like kamala harris elizabeth warren um castro uh, uh juan castro they have been saying that we sh- that African Americans should be getting reparations for slavery and then you have some people that are like no they shouldn't so I'm going to dive into that a little bit and give my opinion and my thoughts and we'll go from there so the first question that should be answered when considering this is why should reparations be paid? And I mean, that's a simple question. So in 1865, General William Sherman issued a order in South Carolina. And this order was to take 40 acres and a lone mule from the army and set it aside for former slave families. And after the war, uh, Republicans in Congress passed laws requiring this confiscation of former Confederate property to provide the ex-slave with 40 acres and a mule. That's where that saying comes from. It actually comes from a military order from General Sherman uh, of the Union Army. And the whole plan was they wanted to give us a leg up. They knew that coming out of slavery, we didn't have no land. We didn't have any way to provide for ourselves. We didn't have any way to feed ourselves. So they considered giving us 40 acres in the mule. And Congress passed the law. But in 1866, Andrew Johnson vetoed that legislation. He didn't want to anger Southern Democrats that were just coming back into the Union. He didn't want to start another civil war. Um, Plus, he was a staunch um, advocate to continue slavery. Um, And plus, he had friends in the South that would lose land. Um, After that, you know, black organ, it, it died down a little bit. And then black organizations lobbied Congress to provide pensions for former slaves and their children. So this was another bill that went into Congress. Um, It was introduced in the Senate in 1894, and this would have granted a direct payment up to $500 to all ex-slaves monthly, plus monthly pensions ranging from $4 to $15. Now we're talking 1894, so... Today, four and four to fifteen dollars don't sound like a lot, but we're looking at inflation and 
how the, our money has grown since then. Uh, but just like the 40 acres and a mule, several bills that are that were similar to this one died in congressional committees. And the pension movement pretty much just faded away. Nobody really fought for pensions or anything like that. So there were two opportunities that the government was trying to help former slaves and get them on a level playing field. Because, again, slaves started 240 years behind white Americans at the time because the first slave came in 1619 and slavery went from 1619 to 1865. So during that time, more African Americans weren't making any money. They were pretty much working for free and then you free them and don't give them an economic base to survive. So after that, the, um, there were still fights for reparations. There were still fights for, you know, why, why are we not getting any money? So in 1980, there were other reparations that were paid out in this country. For instance, um, the Sioux, there were eight Sioux Indian tribes and the federal government agreed to pay those tribes $122 million for compensation for illegally seizing their tribal lands in 1877. Now, they illegally seized their tribal land 22 years after slavery ended. They got reparations. They got a check. $122 million. Not only them, but... Japanese Americans in 1988 received uh, reparations for 1.25 billion with a B. 1.25 billion dollars were paid out to 60,000 Japanese Americans who have been placed in internment camps here in America during World War II. Now, they got reparations. The, the Native Americans got reparations and they certainly deserved it. But yet the argument is every, there's a lot of people that are against black people getting reparations. So my question is, why are people for Native Americans getting reparations, Japanese Americans getting reparations? We pay German, German Jews reparations but African-Americans do not get reparations. And it, it, it's, it's baffling how you're not taking care of something that you did many, 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 many years ago. If we would have got our 40 acres and a mule, if we would have got the pensions or whatever bills that they were trying to pass in Congress, if we would have got those, then we wouldn't have been at the bottom like we were. We would have been at that. We wouldn't have been equal, equal, but we wouldn't been, 
we wouldn't have been put in the situation that we were put in. Um, plus, it would have gave us more. It would have gave us more vocal power. You know, we wouldn't have. I feel if we would have got our land, we would have got the money that, you know, we would have been able to make off that land. I personally do not think Reconstruction would have ended. I personally do not think Jim Crow laws would have started because now we have a say so and we have uh, not necessarily power, but we would have had more than what we had coming out of slavery. Now, there was a call by a council member named uh, Ray Jenkins, who he got it through the Detroit City Council a resolution. This was his idea of re uh, reparations. So what he called for was $40 billion of federal education fund for black college and trade school students a conference of black state legislators meeting in New Orleans backed that idea of federally financing education uh, for the descendants of slaves. Education is, is, is huge. Um, if you have the education, you can have, you can get those jobs, those well-paying jobs. If you don't have the education, you don't get the well-paying jobs because Jobs jobs today and jobs back in the, the late 80s, early 90s were requiring you to have that college degree if you wanted to be a doctor, if you wanted to be a lawyer. You didn't have to have one to be a plumber. You didn't have to have one to be, you know, a security guard or a police officer. But if you wanted the high paying jobs, you had to have that education. So he pushed for $40 billion to black college students in, in trade programs. Now, what that means is, okay, for today, there was a study that I saw today where $23 billion of state and local education funding goes to $23 billion more of state and local education funding goes to white districts than non-white districts, which means they get more money than we get. I thought education was equal across the board. So why is one district, why is one group of students getting more money and the other students aren't $23 billion more are going to white districts than non-white districts? Doesn't seem right to me. Um, and that's why the field is how it is right now. So when considering reparations, you have to look at the pros and the cons of what reparations is and what it's going to do. So for the cons, you know, this argument that um, there are no black slaves living today slavery ended more than 160 years ago uh, at the cost of several thousand lives and in the Civil War and it's unfair to ask American taxpayers many of them from families that come to the United States after slavery ended to pay for the wrongs of slavery reparations isn't just about 
slavery, and that's where people they they get lost in that. It's not a it's not just about slavery. After slavery, you had seven years where essentially former slaves were freed. We had Reconstruction. You had uh, African Americans that were on in the Senate, the United States Senate and state senates, um, and House of Representatives on both the federal and the state level. We were we were doing good. We were taking those seven years, even though we didn't get our forty acres and a mule, but we're resourceful, and we built ourselves up to get to Washington D.C. or get to the state houses in various states. But after those seven years, you had the Great Compromise. Um that happened in the 1870s with Rutherford B. Hayes and Southern Democrats, where he stated if the Southern Democrats voted for him to get into the White House, he would pull the remaining troops out of South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. Meaning, he was going to end Reconstruction. Southern Democrats agreed. He pulled the troops then came the black codes and the Jim Crow laws. So now we're back. We're not necessarily in slavery, but we're not equal now. Now we have to be on our own side. We're on our own side of the tracks. They're on their own side of the tracks. So you do not cross. You do not cross the tracks. And I mean, it, it, it's stupid stuff. Like when one of the black codes is if you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a white male or a white female walking towards you, you lower your head, you step off the sidewalk, and you let them have the sidewalk. If you don't, you go to jail. Um, or worse, you're being lynched. So not only did we have to go through the black codes, not only did we have to go through uh, Jim Crow, we also had lynching that was in this country. Well over four documented, documented, well over 4,500 African Americans left this country due to lynching. They were killed for doing nothing, pretty much. They were, they would be accused of something, something that they didn't do, and they would get lynched. For instance, there was a gentleman who this woman had saw him at the market and then she brought him home. And of course they did what they did. They had sex. The husband found out a lynch mob went out, found the guy. And back then it was illegal for interracial mingling. So he eventually got arrested, thrown in jail and the wife went to the husband and told the husband that she was the one who brought him to the house. She was the one who initiated contact with him. She was the one who initiated intercourse with him. And the husband's words were, it doesn't matter. He probably did something anyway, and he's going to pay for it. And he was lynched the very next day. So you had that going on. Then you had 
you know, the civil rights movement to fight segregation because separate but equal. That was the law of the land. You know, we're equal, but we're separate. You know, you can't mix the two. You can have you can have your own schools, your own restaurants, your own bathrooms, but you cannot use our schools, our bathrooms or our restaurants. So that's going on throughout the middle part of the 19, uh, the 20, 20th century from 1900 to 1968 when the Federal Housing Act was passed. Also, we had to deal with that, with discrimination in housing, discrimination in getting loans, discrimination in a lot of things in this country that helped other people. So that argument is, it's not in void. I mean, yeah, you can make that argument, but understand that it's not just about slavery. It's about everything else um, that we had to go through. Technically, we have been free for 50, 51 years that's how long we've been free 51 years when the fair housing act of 1968 was passed technically that gave us freedom so that's the first con the first argument that people have against reparations the second one is problems that face african americans today are not due to the legacy of slavery or even racism many blacks have succeeded very have succeeded very well in america and the problems of poor African Americans are caused by social ills within the inner city, such as the breakdown of families, high crime rates, and dependency on welfare. Okay, welfare. There are more white Americans on welfare than it is black Americans on welfare. Now, how they were able to break the family structure is with the 13th amendment in the 13th amendment yes it freed slaves but it legalized uh prisons prisons is the modern day slavery mass incarceration so if you t arrest the black male and throw him in jail now you have a single mother out here taking care of her kids right and she gets welfare to help her because the, at the time, at that time, the man was the breadwinner. The woman stayed at home. So if you take the man out of the house, the woman has no way to eat. So she would get welfare. Well, there's a clause in welfare. If you're getting Section 8 housing, you know, to help uh, with with your financial situation, you can't afford where you were living so you move into section 8 housing which is part of welfare and you cannot have the the male move in to the house the dad cannot come back because if he does he again he's the breadwinner you can lose that section 8 housing so now you have to make that decision because now the dad gets out of jail because he has a criminal record he can't find a good paying job. So even if he does come back and you're like, I want him back. I'm going to leave Section 8 housing. 
you still have to afford housing. So if he can't make the money to pay for the housing, then you're going to end up right back in Section 8 housing. So a lot of women decided to stay. Um, that's how the welfare thing worked. That was the breakdown of the family. High crime rates. Yes, there's high crime rates in the black community, but there's high crime rates in each community because of proximity. We've lived near black people. So that means there's going to be more black on black crime than any black on white, black on Hispanic, black on Asian, just like white people live around white people. So there's more white on white crime, but they don't talk about the white on white crime. It's higher than it is with black on black crime. Um, so or let me rephrase that. They're they're pretty much equal. I think black on black crime is like ninety two percent and white on white crime is like eighty six percent. They're pretty much equal. But it's all about proximity. You're going to harm the ones that you're closer to. So that is the high crime rates. Well, why were we so close to each other well that came from housing and the rules that they had in housing see back in the 1930s all the way up to 1968 they did a thing called redlining so with redlining what that what redlining what that would do is let's say um we we have the freedom to move into any neighborhood we wanted to but the white neighborhoods were considered green zones that's where the property value would go up. It that, that was considered the best standard of living. But whenever a black person would try to move into those neighborhoods, we would get denied those loans because they didn't want to affect their property value. Because if a black person moved into the neighborhood, property value goes down. When property value goes down, people leave. The inner city was predominantly white during those times. But then once... Once we started pushing our way into those neighborhoods because we wanted a we wanted to have a better standard of living as well. So we would move into those neighborhoods, they would leave and they would go out to the suburbs. They would go out and get land that's outside the city. And then we would be left in the inner city. The property value shot down completely. But the property value in the suburbs went up. Suburbs were designed to segregate the the races. So that's why you have an inner city. If people would have just accepted the fact that we were equal and we could live in the same place that they could live, I don't believe that there would be an inner city. I think that what is considered inner city or the hood or the ghetto wouldn't have existed but when they left, the property value went down. Therefore, there's no no kind of wealth in that area. That's why we were so we're so close with each other in a in the neighborhood. It's because of redlining. That's why. So the the third argument is federal and state governments have already spent billions of dollars on social programs such as welfare and subsidized housing, health care, employment development, affirmative action, and education. These programs have benefited African Americans. 
again, welfare has benefited more whites than blacks. Affirmative action has benefited more white women than blacks. Um, our education system, as I stated earlier, is not the same. They haven't spent the money on our education system like they've spent on other ethnic on, on other ethnic groups, especially with twenty three billion dollars more going to white districts. Um, yeah, you got health care, but that doesn't just help us; that helps everybody. Uh, employment development, I, that program is again to help everyone. It's not just a program for us. There's not a program out there where they say only African Americans can participate in this program to help build them up. There's not a program that the government has established that says that. Everything is open to everyone. All race, creed, sex, gender, it's open to everyone. The fourth one is African Americans, especially the young, need to overcome their problems through their own efforts and not depend on more government handouts and benefits. The whole pull yourself up by the bootstraps argument. And Dr. King touched on that. He said, you know, you have these people telling you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But because we're so far behind, we don't even have the boots, let alone the straps. So how can we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps when you have the boot and the bootstraps and we don't? That's an that, that's not a good argument at all. The fifth one says that reparations would be too expensive. Depriving the country of an opportunity to fix the Social Security and Medicare system and meet other budget needs that benefit all Americans. Here in a minute, I'm going to give you my reparations platform. And I believe that it will not be too expensive. Uh, it'll be something that the government can afford and they'll still be able to take care of Social, Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid um, the way that they've always been, uh, been able to take care of it. So the, the last argument is that any reparation plan would lead to unfairness and huge administrative costs. Who would receive reparations? Descendants of slaves, all blacks, would well-off African Americans receive payments if a fund were set up? Who would administer it? Would those unhappy with the plan call for even more reparations or file lawsuits? Well, here's, here's the argument against that. It would go to any African American, this is just me, that can trace his lineage back to slavery. But here's the downfall, and this is something that I know. I've been working on my family tree for 10 years now. And working on my family tree, you can only go back as an African-American so far. Because prior to the end of slavery, there we didn't have names when they did the slave roles. All they put was male, 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 female, child. 
female and they'll put the age. They didn't have their names put on those roles. And I've looked at those roles in order for us to get that information. A, we would have to know who our slave owners were of our ancestors. That's the first part. That part is difficult because the people that would have that information have already passed away. That would be our great grandparents, our great, great, great grandparents. They would have that information, but they have all passed away. Even our great, great grandparents have passed away. Okay, so you can't trace it back to a specific location. You can't trace it back to where you came from because that information was taken from us from the first slave in our lineage our first ancestor that was brought over here that was taken from them where they came from they lost all of that so now you're having us to determine whether we're direct descendants of a slave when we can't find that information it's it's hard i've tried on my I can tell you right now on my it was lucky that my grandmother had information about her grandparents that but even then he was born after slavery. So what about his parents or his grandparents or his great great grandparents? Where were they located? Where did they come from? I can't get that information because information on us didn't start until after the civil war and that came with the freedmen's bureau uh, freedmen's bureau so finding that information is going to be tough so you can't determine if you can't determine reparations by the lineage of slavery because we can't trace that back unless a family really 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 documented everything but if you documented in the 18 in the early 1800s, that means you learned how to read or write, which means it was punishable by death, which means now you have to give oral, uh, oral history. Well, the thing with oral history is it can change over time. You know, it can you can exaggerate oral history. So you can do it by the descendants of slaves, but then. The government will have to get involved with that, with helping us find out where our family members were and if they were slaves. But they can't do it because they didn't keep records of that either. Again, all it said on a slave roll was male, male, female, male. And if you don't believe me, you can go look at uh, a slave roll. You can Google in a 1960 uh, 1863 slave roll and you and it will pull up one from Georgia and I think there's one from South Carolina and you can look at it that was their that's how they did their census back then for the slaves um all blacks me personally yes all of them every last one of them Every last black American, yes. Especially if our ancestors, our relatives went through Jim Crow 
segregation, discrimination, not just slavery, but Jim Crow, segregation, discrimination. That includes my grandmother, my great granddad and grandmother, my great great granddad and grandmother. They had to go through Jim Crow. They had to go through segregation. They had to go through discrimination. So, yes, all black Americans who can trace their ancestors that were here, that went through the Jim Crow era. Yes. So that would be my argument against that. Now, after we have to look at other things like after the passage of the 13th Amendment following the uh, the Civil War, should the former slaves have been granted their reparations? Yes. They worked for it. They worked over 200 years for it. But it was denied to them. We didn't get what we worked for. Um, number two is how are reparations for black slavery similar to diff- or different from the following, which is reparations paid by the United States government to the Sioux Indians for lands that they illegally confiscated in 1877. That's easy. You illegally took our ancestors from their homeland, brought them over to a foreign land, had them work this foreign land for free. They worked themselves to death. Then their children followed them and they worked themselves to death and the cycle just continued. Then you have after slavery and now we have to deal with Jim Crow, lynching, segregation amongst the schools, segregation at lunch counters, segregation on transportation, segregation in the military. Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Because you took us from our land. You took their land from them. So it's the same. There's no difference in that. The same argument is on both sides. Reparations paid by the West German government to Jewish survivors of Nazi concentration camps. It's the same. Slavery was a concentration camp. You forced a group of people to work for free the only thing you provided for them was housing and 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 that was inadequate because you didn't want them to leave the land you wanted them to stay there that was your property their housing was no better than the barn for the animals and if you don't believe me on that go visit a a plantation and go go to the slave quarters don't go to the master's house go to the slave quarters and look at the housing and look how they live it's pretty much a miniature barn for their slaves. And then a reparations paid by the United States government to Japanese Americans in turn unconstitutionally in prison camps during World War II. It's the same. That's where the 13th Amendment comes in because now you have mass incarceration, which is legal slavery. They use the 13th Amendment to put black men back in prison and use them on chain gangs to build things 
to help black men on chain gangs help build the interstate system in this country. So it's the same. The prison system is our internment camp. And it's not unconstitutional because they put it in the Constitution. But technically it's immoral and it's unconstitutional and that part should be taken out of the 13th Amendment. So, now after talking about that, the obstacles against us, right, is the the racial wealth. That's an obstacle that is against us. So, here's a couple facts and then I'm going to touch on them. White wealth median is 13 times greater than blacks in this country. The average retirement savings for blacks is $19,049 compared to $130,472 for whites. And if black wealth continues to grow at the same rate that it has been growing the last 30 years, it would take 228 years before anything is equal economically in this country between whites and blacks. So going back to the 40 acres and a mule, if we would have gotten that land, that's wealth that we could have built on wealth in this country. If you know, you can consider wealth as having money, but a lot of people consider it as having property. We need, if you have a house, right, and the house has stayed in the family for generations after generations after generations, the house is constantly building equity. Equity can be used to invest in other things that's going to help build your wealth. But because we didn't have that, when, we, when, when our ancestors were freed, we didn't get that 40 acres and a mule. Now we're behind the eight ball. Now we get houses, but our houses are in pretty much what they call the red zone. Our property value isn't as high as it is in the green zone. For instance, if you had a house in the red zone and it was passed down from generation to generation to generation and you wanted to go get an equity loan on that house. Your equity loan would probably be no more than maybe $50,000 to $75,000. But if you had a house in the red, in the green zone, your equity goes up. For instance, Lovick Town up in New York, one of the first subdivisions that was built. That subdivision was highly segregated. It's in their paperwork. It's in anything. It's in their flyer. All of that. You can find this flyer online. So only white people can live in this neighborhood. They purchased these houses for around $2,000 with the help of the government who gave white soldiers the GI Bill. So with the help of the government, they purchased these houses for $2,000. These houses have stayed in the families that lived there some had moved out some that moved in but majority of them have stayed in the family right now love it town those houses can go for millions of dollars so you buy the house for 2000 and in 2019 that same house is worth millions of dollars 
So now you can get that equity loan to help fund that business that you want to start. That's the difference. We're behind in that in that in that game. We're behind in the money game. We have to catch up in the money game. Affirmative action is another obstacle that fa- that force that that we face. Because in 1965, we were largely excluded from programs that helped build middle class wealth. Affirmative action is a myth when you think about it as a black program. It's a myth. It helped more white women than it did us. That's how white women were able to get into the workforce. That's how that's how Title Nine came about. Is due to affirmative action. But we didn't get that. Now on to my plan. I think I think this this is a pretty good plan. I think this plan could um, answer the questions for reparations. And I think it could pass Congress. It could be signed into law. And everybody would be happy. So the first part of my plan is to create a reparations trust fund. So with this trust fund, it is, you know, a graduated tax on the wealth and inherited wealth that tax if you make in excess of let's say five million dollars right then you would pay a one percent tax on that i'm not going crazy with the tax amount you'll pay a one percent tax on that now if you're a billionaire of course that tax rate is going to go up a little bit but it's one percent one percent that's all you're paying And that money would go into a trust fund, a reparations trust fund. Now, with that trust fund, you would have direct stakeholders. This is where the the descendants come in. Black Americans come in. We are stakeholders in that reparations trust fund. So with that trust fund, we can get number one, direct cash funds or direct cash grants we can get grants out of that trust fund that will match savings programs help with home ownership help with business startups because we do not get business loans at the rates of white americans even though we apply at the same rate we don't get them at the same rate so business startups other wealth building opportunities And last but not least, in direct cash grants would be an optional and free financial literacy training program to enable people to make the most of their stake. Now we're we're educating ourselves on how to invest our money. That's something that we didn't have as far as black people in general. Like, I want to play the stock market. I want to invest in things. I want to start my own business. I wasn't given that information as a child because, I mean, I'm not saying that my parents didn't know. It's just they didn't have the knowledge that a lot of white parents would have with their kids. So that's part of the stakeholder fund that's one part of it 
the second part of the stakeholder funds would be first-time home buyer programs. And with that program, the government would offer subsidized home mortgages similar to those that built the white middle class in World War II. Again, we were not included in the GI Bill at that time to get these home own these homeowner loans, these first time home buyer loans that FHA, the Federal Housing Authority, was giving out to a lot of white Americans. So for our fire our first time home buyer program, we would get this the same mortgages, home mortgages that helped build the white middle class. Now, yes, it would go up because of inflation, but it would be at the same percentage rate that they got after World War II. That would help also with building our wealth because now we'll be homeowners. A stat states that 43% of black people are homeowners. 43%. 75% of white people are homeowners. So you got 75% on their end and only 43 on our end. And it was even worse in 2008 after the housing crisis because we lost our house, our homes due to uh, mortgage predators, bank predators, financial predators that that preyed on us because we didn't know we didn't have that knowledge. So they preyed on us. And then a lot of our families ended up losing the homes that they lived in. So that'll be number two in the stakeholder fund. Number three would be tuition free higher education. And this would be free tuition and financial support for first-generation college students. Because college is not cheap today. It's not like it was in the 60s or the 70s, even the 80s when you could pay $200 and you can go for a whole semester. Not $200 a class, $200 a semester. Like right now at the school that I go to, for a semester, if you're taking 12 hours, it is $4,500. right and then a lot of our family a lot of black families don't make it like they'll graduate high school but won't go to college so then you have that kid that's like I'm the first one to graduate from college in my family you hear that more in our community than any other community so now and, and that's because we can't afford it. We just can't afford going to college. So we leave high school after we graduate and we go to work at a low paying job. But this program would actually end that. And now a student is able to go to college that wants to go to college. And this program it can work. It's already been implemented at a, at a historically black college already. There's one. It's the university of the Virgin islands. Every student 
that lives that lives on the islands not you know out of out of state students but island students can go to the university of virgin islands for free their education is taken care of it's free so that program is possible and we can do it it's just we have to get out of our own way and stop thinking about self number four would be endowments to historical and cultural institutions and what i mean by that is so they would get uh, a one-time capital endowment which would create and, st- and sustain museums and historical exhibits that teach the history of slavery and its aftermath education again we're still teaching but now we're preserving our history so we get that one-time capital, that one-time payment, that endowment, and we can keep our museums afloat and we can maintain those historical exhibits, those historical artifacts that are very important to our history. So that is the fourth call, the fourth part of my um plan so the fifth one under the direct stakeholder funds would be a national history education program what i mean by that is we need to it'll be an investment that would be made to disseminate the history of african americans to all segments of the society now this program is just like the program about the Holocaust and it's called facing history in ourselves. And this is a program that is in schools. They teach you about the Holocaust. I mean, it's a big program too, that they teach you about the Holocaust, but there's not a program that's teaching you about us. If you look at a history book, they're going to talk about the same people. You're going to get a, a sentence or two about Frederick Douglass. You may get a paragraph about Harriet Tubman. You'll get a page about Martin Luther King. They'll talk about Rosa Parks. That's pretty much it. But they don't teach you about the other people that that impacted this country. Like a, a Benjamin Banneker. Like a Crispus Atticus. Like a Marcus Garvey, a Malcolm X, a Nat Turner a W.E.B. Du Bois, a Booker T. Washington, a Medgar Evers, a Fannie Lou Hamer, Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale. They don't teach you about those. They don't teach you about the Black Panthers, the Black Muslims. They don't teach you about slavery and like really dive into slavery. They don't teach you about the gentleman during the Civil War who worked on a Confederate ship and then at night he stole the ship, put his family on the ship. And because he knew the hand signals and the the verbal commands of the Confederate army, when he passed by Confederate forts, he could give out that he could communicate that this is a Confederate ship and they would let him pass. And he took, 
his entire family up north. He was able to do that. And then he became a senator. I mean, a, a House of Representative member, a congressman in South Carolina. They don't teach you that history. They don't teach that history to anyone. And that should be, we should invest in that. The government should invest in that. Number six would be to, you know, maintain historical monuments and, and markers. You know, they, they take care of other historical uh, monuments and other historical markers. It's time for us to take, it's time for them to take care of ours. And then last but not least, um, it's a route journey to Africa. Now, this one sounds a little crazy, but follow me. It's an initiative that would enable people with African heritage to visit Africa, learn about the historical, learn about their historical roots and deepen friendships and understanding with the African continent. Now, this program isn't anything new. There's a program like this that goes on right now in this country. And this program takes thousands of Jewish young people from the U.S. And they get to go to Israel every year. And it's paid by the Israeli government and the United States government. This is how they're able to keep that relationship between Israel and the United States. So why can't we have that same that same program for us. Let us go back to where we came from, which is Africa and get a better understanding of our home, our original home. And then not only that, but now, you know, we can build that, that relationship. We can start, Bringing back that connection between blacks in America and Africans in Africa because they are our relatives. So now we can fix, we can mend that relationship between us. And that'll be building something that is that is beautiful. So that's my plan. And I'm Seriously trying to get this plan to Kamala Harris or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or Cory Booker. Um, so if anybody that's listening to this knows them, tell them to come talk to me. I got the reparations plan right here. And I'm telling you, this plan could pass Congress and it could be signed into law. Because it's not necessarily giving out a lump sum, which they think reparations does, is give out a lump sum. No, this isn't a lump sum. This is an investment because you're investing in us succeeding. If we succeed, then America succeeds. Right? I mean, that's if we succeed, if we're able to do for ourselves, if we're able to create wealth for ourselves, that would create jobs. See, this goes back to that whole trickle down economics thing. Now you're trickling down the economics instead of it just staying up at the top. Trickle it down to us, invest in us and let us grow. And America 
continues to grow and America will continue to be a superpower and even more powerful because now it's not just one group now it's many groups so that does it for me on this episode Um, I hope you enjoy Uh, stay tuned for the next one can't wait to speak to you next time alright have a good one peace